we're just going to dive right in. And a bit of a dry run on the first time for anybody that's just joining us. Uh, we did have, I mean, how many how many names we got? Matt Ward, Dr. Matt Ward, Wardo. I mean, we, I'm sure there's some other loving terms of endearment that your friends would call you on a night full of whiskey. But uh, he joined me. We had some technical difficulties. I almost office spaced my MacBook uh, as I did the spinning rainbow wheel of death. But we're back and we're going to dive in. And now I know what to ask this dude even a little bit better than I did before. So to start off, and uh, I think the most apropos title of the podcast last time would have been Jack of all trades because it's kind of the theme of your life. So what the what's how like why'd you do all this stuff? I mean, there's all this stuff, man. So like, yeah. kind of tell me, I know that you got into, well, no, I don't really know. You told me in your bio that I, I'll read at the beginning of the show, you got into chiropractic because of some injuries from CrossFit, but why conservative musculoskeletal care? You could have done a lot of stuff. Could have been orthopedic surgeon, could have been massage therapist. It could have yeah. been like, why that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I probably couldn't have been a massage therapist because I don't like spending that amount of time with anybody. But uh, <laughs> even your friends, if you're an orthopedic surgeon, you're they're under GA, so you know it's it's not too bad. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kidding. No, it was this. It was this weird thing, man. I was, I never leaving high school. I never thought I'd go back to school a day in my life, and then I went back to school for eight years. So you know, shit happens. Um, I I was in the strength and conditioning training realm, and. I seem to slowly slide my way out of performance coaching and I pigeonholed myself in, um, in kind of like rehab training. And I started to get a bunch of patients from, uh, chiropractors and physios. And I started to spend more of my time was spent kind of like designing a program for somebody with, you know, flexion what I now know is flexion intolerant low back pain, a poor hip hinge, poor dorsiflexion of their ankle. Um, and that's kind of where I sat with CrossFit coaching, coaching like head CrossFit coach at Studio 55 in my later days before Cairo school. And then with my company Primal Performance, um, just doing rehab. And I was like, man, I am fixing, and this is going to maybe sound a little egotistical, but like I'm fixing people's problems of 15 years that no physio or chiropractor has because I have this ability to kind of linear progress this strength training paradigm, activity modification, change their running gait, whatever it might be in a way. And I have 15 different ways, probably a hundred different ways to teach the same thing. And I'm willing to spend the time and beat my head against the brick wall time and time again, because I'm stubborn, and then it gets results. And I was kind of sitting there like, this is bullshit. Like I'm getting paid as the lowest member on the totem pole. And I really enjoy this. I think I'm going to, I'm going to go back to school. And then it was just, a, and then I was just trying to figure out if I was going to be a physio or a Cairo. And, and honestly, I was working with a few other physios and nothing against them, but I was doing a lot of the same stuff already. And when I looked at the chiropractic curriculum, it was a lot of stuff that I did not know. Mm -hmm. And um, as far as the differential diagnoses um, and, and that was it. And so I, I, I hopped on that train um, and, and then went to university of Western States. And then obviously, you know, that's where, you know, I kind of met through you through that and all that, that, that stuff. But the interesting part about, my background leading up to that logging, you know, driving a logging truck, running a saw, forest firefighting, owning a gutter company, um, you know, like the lid working, you know, building framing, um, working for a trust company, X, Y, and Z retail. I have a good, I have a, a, a low level knowledge of a lot of crap that a lot of people do. And, it helps me relate to them in the treatment room on all different levels. Cause I think in the treatment room, you truly need to be a chameleon. And you know, if you can fit in with that person a little bit and get them to buy into what you're, you're like, as you know, you're selling basically the same stuff to everyone, mm -hmm. which is just to help them. Right. It's, it's mobility, it's stability, it's how to change their life for the better, but you just have to approach it in a way that fits 
their lifestyle and their ear versus the other maybe 10 people they've seen who've told them they can't do X, Y, and Z or, or whatever. So I, that, that's kind of it. There's a couple interesting things there. The last part that you said of really it's how you're communicating the same things that are done is maybe the differentiator, which I just think is interesting, but I'll back up to, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like really your main driver of going to school wasn't necessarily, you mentioned like filling in the gaps of knowledge, like the chiropractic curriculum was, you know, varied from what you did, which has kind of been a theme of your whole education career from that point on but it seemed like kind of the business money side was the driver. You're like, well, why am I getting paid at this threshold when I'm doing this work, which is very interesting. And I just want to hear your thoughts on this. There's a lot of kids that are going to, I always say kids, I should say students because they're probably, you know, not that much younger than me, but whatever, maybe they are getting there. Um, Have you met these kids, man? They're kids. (laughs) Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. Recorrection. Um, Yeah but that think that they shouldn't be going to school once they get in there. Cause they're like, what the hell I'm just doing basic strength and conditioning principles, fundamental movements. Um, some of them kind of start to believe that they could be completely hands off and still get the same results. So it's almost like they're flipping the paradigm that sent you in. Like where yeah. do you stand on that? Yeah, man, that's a great one. So obviously like being in Canada, uh, different healthcare than the United States, and I can't quite speak to how it would work. So as a kinesiologist in British Columbia, you don't make any, there's no extended healthcare benefits um, that you could make. So there's like some stuff with like ICBC, which is our, our, we have a monopoly of car insurance. Don't get me started about that. Um, And you know, you can make 80 bucks, uh, 82 bucks in an hour is what you can make cheating that. So, you know, 80 bucks an hour college degree, not bad. I was charging a hundred bucks an hour, downtown Vancouver, personal training sessions. Um, and you know, spending an hour with somebody and when somebody comes to see you with some flexion intolerant, low back pain, and you teach them the hip hinge, you do a little assessment, teach them the hip hinge, 25 minutes later they're like yeah like my back doesn't hurt anymore you're like huh (laughs) you know they're like well what else do you want to do for the 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 rest of the (laughs) session and because you know you're still a kinesiologist is really just a glorified personal trainer Mm -hmm. you are now like expects you know i would get this like hey are we gonna like sweat a little today it's like man i just took care of your back pain that you've had for 14 years and you still are like, well, when are we going to like, you know, get on the treadmill, get a little sweaty. And I just was like, Ooh, this is a challenge. So, and I just didn't want to spend like an hour with people anymore. And it was hard to justify the 30 minutes. I was looking at opening up my own brick and mortar place as a kinesiologist. Mm-hmm. And there are other guys who've done it. There's one other guy in the lower mainland who I know. Um, I can't remember the name off the top off the top of my head. It's been a while. Rob, Rob something. Anyways, he had kinesiologist and he had physios and chiros kind of working in his shop and he's a pretty switched on dude and Mm -hmm. like i'm telling you man like he was making that passive income off those guys but as far as like being able to like if all of his guys were like ah we're leaving i'm telling you like he was in deep shit with with loss of that place and i just don't like i just didn't like that feeling plus it's just this constant battle uphill of like you know, you're out, there's, I mean, we churn out, we churn out probably like a thousand plus kinesiologists a year in British Columbia as university students from university, yeah. maybe more than that even. And it's like, where do they all go? And they all <laughs> literally go into, it's, it's almost the same as a psychology degree now, like an art, a psychology arts degree that you're like a really educated personal trainer on the body but with zero practical knowledge on how to design anything. So you kind of are like in this weird kind of continuum where you either start working at a globo gym Mm -hmm. or you get the opportunity to go work in a clinic for somebody and learn from maybe somebody like myself. And I learned from somebody in the past. Um, And then in in the States, if you get a kinesiology undergrad, it's, it's kind of like a, I'm not going to say it's a non-degree, but it's like, okay, what are you going to do next? Like it's a step to a graduate degree because there's not in the States, 
there's no jobs that exist for that. You're going to go get a certification, do something else with that undergrad degree, or you may not even work in the, you know, exercise physiology, fitness world. You just kind of go yeah. do something else. So yeah, really common. Yeah. So that's, and that essentially that was the writing on the wall and it wasn't so much the money, but it was like, man, if I'm fixing this stuff, I want to have the opportunity to, obviously I'm looking at the, the timeline, looking out and what mm -hmm. I want to achieve with my life. And, and a lot of that stuff, um, you know, you need to make money at some point. And yeah. I, I felt like I loved what I was doing. I felt I was good at it. And I thought, you know, the rationale was there, you know, I'm certainly not, you know, running the maximized living chiropractic plan, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> missing out, bud, <laughs> missing out big bucks, <laughs> big bucks. Turns out I'm just doing the same old shit, except on 20 minute well, visits. Well, that was my question though. Has it transformed the way you thought it would prior to going to school? Uh, the financial thing? Yeah, just what you pictured it to be after school versus what you were doing before you went. Yeah, to be honest, man, I, like I, I joke about this all the time with, uh, with my buddy, Corey. Um, I, I feel like extremely fortunate to make the kind of money that I make doing this job the way I do it. Um, could I make a lot more money if I was a, a greasy kind of rack and crack chiropractor? 100% I could. But at a certain point, I don't think you need to make any more money from where I'm at right now, especially mm -hmm. with the clinic that we have and, you know, the passive income that I'll start to be making as a part owner. Um, you know, like I can still keep my integrity and I never needed to make a million bucks a year. Um, I can try and let my money work for me as I grow up. Um, and so on and so forth. I think I was just, if, if you, yeah, if you, if you can make six figures a year and then especially if you have a dual income down the line, I mean, like there's not a lot you can't do in this world. Maybe you're not going to live, you know, mm -hmm. you know, the Richard Branson lifestyle, but, uh, but I think keeping my, keeping my integrity and my ethics kind of close to the center of what I do um, is extremely important to me. And I, I feel like this job allows me to do that. Um, and I hear it day in, day out when I'm, you know, getting people coming in who are like, man, yeah, this guy took x-rays the first time. And then I wasn't treated till the fourth visit. My, re my review of findings was with 14 other people. I'm just like, yeah, I'm still fighting the good fight. I, yeah, I make mm -hmm. less money than that person, but you know, they run out of people at a certain point in time. But I think that's a really good point for especially students that are listening in to hear that, you know, I tell our new doctors in here that are, you know, they're contractors in here. So it's kind of their own business. And they, I always say you get to use the brand of the farm that's established, but you're still your own thing. Like you can do what you want. You're responsible for a lot of your own stuff, but we have a lot of people coming in because of the farm. But if you want to practice the way we do, you're never going to be, you're never, A, you're never going to be wealthy working for money, right? You got to let your money work for you. But at the same time, what we do probably isn't going to drive enough income to even get to that point. So you kind of have to start thinking like, what are my other passive income sources? What other things can I do? They may be out of the realm, but they may be within the same realm, right? There's people that we know that make twice as much teaching as they do treating, right? And like things like that, there's avenues to create income all over the place. But I just, I think it's false advertising to think you're going to get out of school practicing the way we practice and make over a hundred thousand, especially the first year or two. And just be like, dude, this is awesome. Like this, like, it's just not going to happen. Like it's a different right. practice style, but you have to become a business owner. You have to, you know, create those revenue streams. So I, I love that you tapped in on that. So talking about the filling in and knowledge gaps, I mean, you know, maybe there's a main theme or maybe there's a few things. What were some of the biggest things that you did pick up through school, right? Thematically or, you know, principles or whatever that did change what you do in the treatment room versus what you did in the gym? Yeah, it was, uh, that, that's a good one. So I think I just, it just changed the lens <clears throat> in which I look at a patient. Um, you know, obviously getting in and I'm not going to, I think that what we learn at chiropractic school is extremely good. I think, I think the, the education I got at University of Western States was very, very good. Um, feel very confident with a lot of my like red flag differential diagnosis mm -hmm. stuff when somebody comes in. And I think that's extremely important because, you know, like missing some of that stuff can literally lead to death. So I feel very confident with all that. I think the, the lens in which I... Mm, 
the lens at which I view a patient and now which the hierarchy of things that I see, like being able to go through and learn about the nervous system and then go through Shacklock stuff because I'm a chiropractor, you know, the access to the courses that I was able to take kind of through R2P, to be honest, like getting introduced to a lot of that stuff. That's how I now view kind of, um, that, that's how I view a patient. So I kind of have this hierarchy of like kind of nerve disc. And then the whole time as they're moving, you're looking at the movement mechanics, you're starting to figure out the weak spots, figure out the stiff spots, so on and so forth. And then I, I kind of used to, as I first started out, be like, all right, like I'm just going to treat this one thing and then go, go to here and then treat this next thing. And then go to here. Like if, you know, if different, if, directional preference doesn't work you know I'm just going to keep doing it but now I've kind of changed that completely whereas like if I'm not getting results instantaneously like I basically just revert to the strength and conditioning principles that I knew before and get them doing something creating some stability in some some other spots and ultimately they end up getting uh, you know, at least they're, they're getting something out of it and getting moving a little bit, um, before, before I kind of beat them over the head with like, Oh, what do you mean? These 50 press ups didn't work in the clinic. You know, we should try a hundred, you know, like they're just like, didn't do enough. Yeah. Yeah. My, my triceps are sore and you know, my back actually feels considerably worse. I'm like, well, we're pulling the pain out of your leg into the, you know, centralization. They're like, I didn't have any pain in my leg. I'm like, right, right, right. Yeah. 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 Sometimes I feel like I'm going to have a patient come back in like Timmy off of South park. Like their arms are just completely (laughs) jacked and they're still having neurologic radiculopathy and their legs like atrophying. And they're like, it's not any better. And I'm like, did you do them seven, eight times a day? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, oh, okay. But yeah, you, so what I'm hearing there is your starting point changed, yeah. right? The strength conditioning start- obviously was your only tipping point or jump off point before. Now that tends to be second, right? And maybe not all yeah. the time, but like you just, like you said, different lens, different starting point. Just confident with, confident with many different aspects to kind of view a patient through yeah. um, and what, and whatever. And I think the other fun thing is that like, I just really don't care what you do. Like I have NHL hockey players. I have people who are 70 years old. I have kids who are 13. I have, you know, and everything in between that. And I just don't really care like what you do. I just, I'm like, this is where you're weak this is where you got to work on it. And that's where it is. And or this is what's kind of, this is what isn't working well. And we Mm got to fix that. Um, And I think a lot of people get that from me. And and that's what they appreciate, especially when I talk to like the SNC coach that's working with the the athlete that I'm working with, or whatever that might be. Well, and the flip side of that can be a trap people, you know, oh, we do this for hockey players. We do this for baseball players. Like, I think that's a huge trap because I'm going to pull from the podcast we did before. You mentioned that really, you know, you learned all these concepts and you did all this continuing education, but it really got you to the point where you're like, oh, it's kind of about the fundamentals and principles of doing, can you do X, Y, Z? Do we rule things out in this like, you know, systematic fashion? And then it's like a lot easier than you think it should be, which again, speaking to the students, I think should give them reprieve that or relief, I guess, that it's like, when you get to a point, you kind of realize like, oh, it's not this like thousands of things that I need to like do and like thousands of things going on, like be smart, be systematic. And all of a sudden it's like, man, it's fundamentals. Like I'm doing the same stuff with the 13 year old that I'm doing with the 78 year old or the pro athlete, you know? Yeah, uh, it's, it's wild. And I, I, I think back to that, as a, as like a kinesiologist before as a chiropractor, I was a chiropractor. Like, that's all I was doing with anybody. It's just like, can you like some of McGill stuff, like, can you hold a side plank for like even 60 seconds and you want to deadlift 450 pounds? Like you can't, like there's a weak spot in the chain here. And I, I don't care who you are. Like, I remember working with this kid who is MLB. Um, he was drafted. He does play in the MLB now. And I just, remember doing his um, basically his like posterior chain endurance test and just kind of like sat on his legs. And I think he held it for like 
four seconds before he was like, my back is spasming. And I'm like, he's a big, big boy. And I was just like, man, like you have nothing. And then Mm -hmm. what I know now is, and how I view that now is not that his posterior chain was weak, but his actually his like anterior chain was so underdeveloped and like that lower abdominal strength. There's just nothing. He had like mm-hmm. a six pack above his belly button yeah. and then like a, a low gut. And it was just like, yeah, you got to fire. And, and I didn't know what to do with that back then. Um, but definitely now I feel like that's honestly like the basis of all low back pain, to be honest, it's, it's getting like a bit silly with no, well, who this gets in. a bit off topic, but I had a huge aha moment. I'm sure other people have had it. So I'm reading Dan Lieberman's new book exercised, which everybody should read. Awesome book. It's a great author to begin with. But it was talking about the difference between like a chimpanzee's lumbar spine and a human's. And obviously our lower dotted curve allows us to stay out of this like forward torso lean that offloads lumbar erector so we can walk and run. And I, like you said, the genesis of a lot of low back pain is what people only dominate with, which we talk about this all the time, upper rectus, you can call it lower cross syndrome, whatever. And I was like, yeah. well, holy shit. Here, Dan Lieberman's just talking about the anthropological like record of why and i was like oh, really good point so maybe we start calling it chimp back um chimp back. We yeah you could have that yeah. this could be a new this could be in talk about revenue streams <laughs> um one of the other things i wanted to kind of dive in on this saying you know that you boil all this like high level stuff down right you started as an snc coach you went to grad school you've done all this continuing ed you see all the the variety of people, you know, athletes, active people. Are there any common themes? And this may not just be musculoskeletal injury. Um, what what are common themes that you see are lacking or that people misunderstand that is that are drivers for like getting them into your office? Right. Yeah. Obviously, getting hurt in athletics, I think that's a given. But like outside of that, like what do you think is the biggest detriment to people's like health overall right now that you're seeing? I think I see, so if people are, if people are injured and like, you know, you end up, I have even in the clinic that I'm at, like I have these like Dr. Matt patients that come in, which are, they've seen a lot of people and there's, they talk on the phone for quite a while before they come in to the front desk. Like they're pretty amped up. They usually have a book of imaging, not everyone, (laughs) but they've got like a, you know, it's a typical type. And I think what fails them the most is that they've seen many people a lot of people have written them off and that there's like ah it's top down like this person needs to be on you know some sort of antidepressant or ssri and i think they just haven't been given a plan i haven't i think they haven't been allowed to move to move in a certain way or you know they come in to see me and they're like yeah you know like X, this is rubbed and this has been cracked. And I've been to the pain clinic for these 50,000 injections. And I'm just like, Hey, has anybody ever like taught you to hip hinge and given you a couple of bird dogs done properly? And like, they're like, no, no. They said that stuff's bad for my back or, or whatever. And I'm just like, what? We're like, oh, I've got this knee pain that I've had for 15 years. And it sounds like garbage in my knee. And like, they're probably going to get a knee replacement without a doubt. Mm-hmm. but what do we need before we have any surgery? You need to make that area. I don't give a shit if it hurts. You need to yep. make that area as strong as possible. That's going to give you the best chance of recovery, getting that range of motion back, recovering your life. And I just think there's a lack of uh, like a long-term plan. It's yeah. just kind of like we'll come into a clinic and they're just like, yep, yeah, get it rubbed, you know, like adjust the ankle out you go tape the knee cool yep see you in two weeks yep see you in four weeks there's not this you know and if you're doing and some people start out like yeah cool like here you're like wall sits but they're like for five seconds because like oh my knee hurts i'm like do it for 60 seconds like i don't care if you piss yourself like you need you need to strengthen if you can go down the stairs i guarantee you you can hold a wall sit for a little while So I think I just really try and give people the confidence. And I think that's where people, I think that's where a lot of people are lacking right now in coming out is, is giving people the self-efficacy and the empowerment to control whatever ailment that they have. Mm. I think that's a big, big, big problem. 
Yeah, because I yeah. would say people are inundated with what's going on with them, obviously, from yeah. self-research, what they're told. You said the book of imaging. So this may be a bit cliche, but like, what do you what do you think you're like, if you had to put your specialty on a business card, right? Cause obviously you're a chiropractor, you see mainly athletes, uh, you do rehab, like what's your specialty though? It's not those things. Like, what do you think sets you apart from other people in your field or just within your patients? Like what, what do you, would you say? Communication without a doubt. Yeah. Like I just, I will beat you over the head with positivity about what else is going well and what other ranges of motion are great when you've been in you know pain for x x amount of years but it's like when you have excellent t-spine rotation i'm like wow that's excellent like do you play golf like you should play golf because that's excellent t-spine rotation your hip moves excellent that's great you know your ankle dorsiflexion is is awesome wow your hamstrings are weak as shit we should probably work on that you know, so on and so forth. Like, and then I'm, I'm allowed, I just get to a very real level. I think my communication with patients, um, you know, I I get that more often than not that they're like, yeah, like I leave the office and I like feel good. I understand what my, my problem is, but Hey, I also have all these like good areas that like, I thought, maybe my whole body was completely useless and I was going to have to be like taken out back like old yeller. So you're you're like, we have that spot too, that we just don't talk about it. That's actually next time. When I tell you to meet me up in East Kelowna behind the dump, that's, that's, that's hey, where it is. You want to go hunting? Yeah. Um, yeah exactly. I think that's probably my biggest strong you, suit. You probably saw me kind of giggling when, I don't know if I've ever referred to myself giggling, at least not for a long time, but I was definitely giggling. You're, you're, you're a dad now, bro. Yeah. It's okay. Um, I had, uh, he's uh, actually the head of infectious disease at UAB University right here. And we're treating him for some shoulder neck stuff. And I'm checking CT junction. He's been in a couple of times. We have good rapport. And I was like, he's like, why, why do you think it's still going on? I was like, cause you don't, I did, this is not what I said, but you move like shit here. I said, there's an apparent lack of motion through your CT junction. He goes, I wish you would reframe it as suboptimal. And he was joking, but he was absolutely spot on, right? Like how we say stuff. And he, he knew, I mean, he's extremely smart, but like you yeah. brought up an awesome point about, you know, people are usually coming into our offices, not the first person that they've seen. So they've probably been told some shit, maybe not in the best bedside manner, focused on the negative stuff. Like, I love that, man, that you're like, hey, this stuff's awesome. And you may need yeah. some of that stuff in your plan, right? If you're working with stenotic patient, T-spine rotations key. Hey, you got it? Yeah. Cool. We don't have to work on that stuff. So I love that, man. Yeah, um, I, I think that's a good one, man. I think it's just, it's such an easy one to do to make somebody feel good who's already maybe not feeling great about themselves. They've kind of started, because I get a lot of people who kind of started a weight loss fitness journey. Pain has stopped them. They've yeah. gained more weight and they're kind of in this like, kind of endless loop of crap and uh and you know to get them feeling positive about themselves is is extremely important gets them to buy into wanting mm-hmm. to do the one or two things that i need them to do every morning and a couple times throughout the day well and i mean yeah your communication skills are awesome but we talked about this again on the first time we had this little rodeo but how much of what you do outside of work, do you feel like bleeds into the clinic as an example for people, right? Like, it's not like you want to sit there and be like, Hey, I went and did a 50 K this weekend, but it's like you doing those things. How much does that help you communicate with people? How much does it help lead from the front? Like, you know, where do you see how that fits into your clinical side? All those things that you do outside of the clinic. Yeah. Well, I think it, it shapes who I am. And, you know, like not only like you're one of the people that I look up to the most in that regard, you not only talk the talk, but you walk the walk. And I feel like I try and do the same. Um, and, and also with the varied aspects of my life, like, you know, urban club over here, hunting group over here, ski group, mountain bike, golf, gym, fitness, you know, you have all, all these different groups that are all kind of, you know, a little bit of this, and that, and then just general friends, mm-hmm. you kind of get a smattering of, of, of a lot of different people. And it keeps me, I think that's just my personality, but it's also keeps me 
kind of not dogmatic on how I approach just one thing. Like I don't, I'm not just kind of a CrossFit bro and I'm not just a redneck hunter. I'm not, you know, I'm multiple, multiple wheels and multiple avenues that turn. And I think that just keeps me very centered on who I am and what I like to do and kind of keeps me very motivated on, yeah, on, on, on how I like to treat as well. But I think, I mean, I saw a research article not too long ago on runners that are injured, don't replace lost running time with other stuff, right? That, yeah. And that could be for a variety of reasons, but I think it's a lot of like people run, they like to run, not dog and so do I, but they don't have the variety in their life of a movement, right? From our standpoint, but just like variety, like they don't have the option to go into the back country because of the lack of social circle or skills or, you know, fear avoidance because they don't know. So I love that too, that you're going to, you may open up through your communication skills via the things that you do outside, like opportunities for people that are missing, right? That that those meaningful tasks got robbed from them because of pain. It's like, dude, you could go do this. And Hey, I know these people, or I've done that, whatever that is. But I, I, I also saw a research article, um, on morbidity rates in physicians um, and how it's like a 50% increased morbidity in physicians. We're talking like primary care orthopedists, but these were also people that basically spent all their time working, right? That like, they may be the best what they do, but they don't have these other things. So that's not really health. So it's kind of like, if you're going to lead from the front and like, you could be the world's best treater of symptoms but you're not necessarily a healthy person. I don't know if that's really what we need anymore. Are these like outstanding clinicians? Yeah. In some realms, if my mom gets cancer, I don't necessarily want her to go to the guy that's the best, like outdoor athlete and is kind of good at medicine. Right. I want somebody pretty good, but I think this gets back into the Jack of all trades thing that somebody's coming to you because they know your skill set is different than other people's. How do you, and this is just kind of, I want to know for my own, you know, purposes, like how does your, you or your clinic, how do you guys get people to know that you're different? Obviously reputation, but let's say there's no reputation. Like how do you guys, what are you defining yourselves at? And I asked what your specialty is, but you're not going to definitely say, Hey, guess what? I communicate really well. Come see me. Like that's yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Um, yeah, man, I have spent most of my, you know, I've been in Kelowna like two and a half years now. I have spent most of that time and a, lo- and a good amount of money too, not on an ounce of marketing, but on a lot of experience, mm. like just experiences, like doing different things, joining different clubs. None of them are like any business related stuff. It's stuff I like to do. And then it naturally, people at some point in time will ask me, oh, what do you do? I'm like, ah, I'm like a chiropractor. And then, oh yeah, yeah, I got one of those. I'm like, oh yeah, cool. And that could be it. Like, I, like I really don't care. Like, I want to be, I want to golf. You know, I, I don't give a shit about if if you know what I do. Mm-hmm. But if you want to ask, that's what I do. And if you want to, you know, and then when people, you know, see me hit the ball like 340 yards off the tee, they're like, well, I'm gonna go see that guy because then I'm gonna do that. It's like that was oh, th- that was a humble brag, people. Humble, humble brag. Humble brag. You know what I mean? But it helps to be good at whatever activity you do. Like It does. And that's a complete sidebar. And I was going to ask you this. I'll just interject real quick. How much I'm going to tell you my little like ego thing that drives the shit out of me. And I told Sloan when we first used to go to trailers, like I'm trying to win this thing. So people, Hey, I'm wearing a farm shirt. I get yep. done and people come over and talk to me. That's a driver for me. Obviously that's not available to everybody. I can't hit the ball 340 sure. yards. Like that's just, I can't yeah. like, so like, do you yeah. think about that when you're doing these things? So, you know, you're not like, Hey, I'm a chiropractor, but are you like, eh, but I'm going to, I'm going to knock the shit out of this thing, or I'm going to maybe drink I've a been, whole bottle of bourbon at bourbon. Club. <laughs> that's right. That's exactly like I, I have been like that. I'm just so competitive. Like I've been that my whole yeah. life. Like if I'm good and I'm going to do anything, and this has kind of been in like the, the little hunting films that I've been in the last couple of years, like this is kind of the driver of it. They're like, whatever I do, I'm going to jump in, not with both feet, but I'm going to hit the bottom of the pool with my face. Like anything that I do, I'm going to do it a hundred percent. And I think that comes across in that way. So to kind of backtrack onto your question, 
is I don't know what I would do if I didn't get reputation. Like I am all word of mouth. And I, our clinic, Vallejo Health Clinic has a good name in town. We're one of the biggest clinics in town. We have a, a, a quite a good name. We have a really fun, fun squad right now. We've got five chiros that work for us, uh, like six massage therapists, physio starting next in March 1st. Um, and then, and then a kinesiologist, you know, like we have like an, an awesome crew and it's a lot of fun. And I think we all kind of get out there as kind of a, like a, a, a new age, more active care type style clinic. Um, and that, and that comes across for sure. But I, I don't know. I, I personally don't take any call-ins that just kind of like, Hey, I heard like Vallejo health clinic, you know, I don't take any of those patients. I sh shuttle them to newer docs who mm -hmm. are just their schedules and I'm, I'm purely referral based. Gotcha. Uh, and that's, and that's just, and that's the way it is. Like if somebody calls and asks for me, then they're coming to see me. But outside of that, that's it. So honestly, man, I, I, I can't really give a great answer to that question because I'm, I'm referral only and people come in and say, they're like, Oh, I hear you're like the guy who doesn't crack, crack people or, Hey, I hear you like, you know, you're different than others or, and I've, got, I've probably got 60% of my patients who think I'm a physio for Christ's sakes. Yeah. Like, and, and I don't really care. I think when we can drop the letters behind the name and you're just like, I just, all on my goal is to just be like, he helps people. That's it. And I don't care how I help people. I always tell people that too many times you have like, you know, the top of the board should be that patient. Mm -hmm. lateral to that should be their goal and all the modalities that we have are at our disposal should are, are far secondary and if it's exercise that's going to help then exercise is what it's going to be if it's you know cracking somebody's back that's going to help then that's what it's going to be if it's cupping if it's this if it's <clears throat> education that's what it's going to be and if it's not in my scope or if it's not something i do you're gone and people respect the hell out of that. I definitely get people who come in, they're like, no, nah, it's just this, you got to do this thing with the, you know, the twisty thing. And I'm, you know, and, and then you, you, you fight that battle as it is. But at a certain point, when you get to the, when you get pretty full, you don't care anymore. Well, and I think I agree big time with Brett Winchester. If somebody comes in and says, dude, I, I was helped in the past because somebody adjusts my CT. I want to be there, the competitive edge plays out in your favor, right? Well, I, I want to be the best at everything I do. And I think if we're going to be a chiropractor, you better know your shit when it comes to adjusting. And if I can blow them up and I've had people that saw chiropractors, I'm sure you have for years, they come in and they're like, well, that's never happened. Like when you adjust them and you're like, what the hell were you doing for a decade? You know what I mean? Like, and that's just a small, that's a tool in our bag, not like the thing we hang our hat on. So I, I always think that's kind of funny when, pay, you know, somebody, like you said, people come in and be like, oh, you know, I'm seeing my PT today. That's what they're telling their buddy. And yeah. I'm like, just don't tell the Whatever. state board that. But yeah, it's funny <laughs> enough. Um, yeah. You said that you're going to dive into anything, you know, face hitting the bottom of the pool. How much does that compete with? Because I know you go into stuff like this with that kind of novice mentality, right? Like you, we talked about in hunting that like you haven't done a lot of this stuff and you're wanting to learn as much as you can, as fast as you can, which is diving in, but it's not going in with your kind of like ego raised or like, I'm gonna, I have to be the best. It's like, I need to learn, right? Those are a little yeah. bit different. So like, again, maybe we can go into the hunting realm. Like, how do you approach that stuff when something's completely foreign or new, or you're trying to be the best? Like, what's your approach yeah. to that stuff? I think I, I can't remember what year it was, but I, I listened to a Tim Ferriss podcast and, and he said, you know, you are the average of the five people you hang out with the most. And, and I don't, I think that's, I think that's actually very true. Um, but it also can apply to certain realms. If you mm -hmm. want to, you know, when I started snowboarding, when I was like 12, I, the person I went the most with had been doing it. I mean, it was like 13. Anyways, he was really good. And just like, took me to the top of the mountain. My first time He's like, mm, I don't really like slow down or I'm not going to like pander to you <laughs> on the shitty lifts. So hope you can figure it out. what do you do? You figure it out. So 
there's that. And then with hunting, I'm just like kind of fortunate enough. One of the reasons I moved here is my good friend, Adam Yonke moves here, who's the owner of the Journal of Mountain Hunting. And with that came a lot of opportunity to learn from not only him, but now, you know, one of the other work, the other employees of the Journal of Mountain Hunting, who's a sheep guide up north in BC, Nolan Osborne, um, Ben Storak, who's been a sheep guide in the Northwest Territories for 16 years, owns his own outfit that I went on a mule deer hunt with last year, like these guys. So I've just surrounded myself in the bubble, in this bubble of guys who do this either professionally or have done it for 20 years. And I think that's the best way to learn. And I feel kind of the same with like chiropractic profession or any sort of healthcare profession is if you surround yourself with really good people and try and be the dumbest guy in the room, you're, if you're the lowest common denominator out there, then you're probably going to be so far above the rest that like, you know, but then if you're also surrounding yourself with the smartest people in the room and you're going to constantly have some humility. Like when people are like, wow, man, like that's the best, like you're so good at this. You're like, in my mind, I'm just like, yeah, but like, I got like four other guys who are far superior than me at this. You know what I mean? Like, so I think that's, I think that's a big, a big aspect of trying to stay humble with like whatever you're doing. Like the guys I try and golf with the most, like, Brandon, he's going to play on the McKenzie tour this year. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like all these guys who just wipe the fucking floor with me on the golf course. And people are like, you're a good golfer. I'm like, nah, not really. And they're like, and then they go play golf with me. And they're like, that's bullshit. I'm like, yeah, the guys I golf with, like haven't shot around above par on a recreational course for like two years, you know, like, so it's just different. I think, well, I think that's a good, you know, we hear that a lot, the people you surround yourself with that close five to six people. And I think people a lot of times think that's friends, right? Which is true. Like that aggregate, you're, you have a lot of time with them, but it, you're, I like that subset of like mentorship within these groups. And if you're with the top 10 and you're number 11 or 15, that's still pretty damn good. And then you do that enough times, like, you know, you matriculate up the cycle, but your goal should always be to kind of still stay in the top 10, like get with the next yeah. top 10. But uh, something that I think is kind of interesting is like, I remember the first time I played with like Mark Blackburn's friend of mine here in Birmingham. And he was like, Hey, you want to go play golf? I'll, here's a little self tell. I hate playing with people that are way better at me than golf. Cause I'm moderately good. I'm not yeah. great. So I'll have really shitty shots and like stuff. And I'm so competitive. So I didn't know who we were playing with. It was two pro golfers. Mark Blackburn and me and we go out and again I show up on the tee box I'm like are you fucking kidding me and <laughs> you know luckily yeah. you know some stuff was on some stuff wasn't but then when you get so here's what I was going to draw from this here's two people that are playing on the PGA tour and they're giving me like kudos like dude you freaking knocked the shit out of that one and I'm like yeah but I but I hit the last one like into the woods like other fairway over so like even the best in the world keep that humility and like give props to other people. I mean, yeah, you're going to have subsets of people that are just dicks and nobody wants totally. to hang out with, but you know, we don't hang out with those people. So exactly. when, let's say this, have you had the opportunity to be, cause you're kind of a mentor to your patients, right? Teacher, whatever you want to call it, teacher, leader, coach, yeah. you know, doctor, patient relationship. Sure. If you had the opportunity to mentor many students, right, where you're now seeing they're coming to you as one of these people, and then like, is that something you want to do more of? Do you want to teach more? Do you want to, you know, play that mentorship role more? Yeah, man. I think one of the things I enjoy doing the most is is teaching. Um, you know, like with with R2P, I went down and did a little, uh, you know, integrated approach to the shoulder with the, for the UWS students. Um, and it's, I guess you can look at it that way is like, a, like, Hey, look how much I know, but it really, like, I come from the approach of like, this is what I've learned. This is what I'm using. This is what's been working. I still have a lot of gaps to fill. And as time goes on, I will, you know, probably erase half the stuff that I even put on that presentation and 
fill it with other stuff or just erase it altogether. Um, <laughs> I enjoy, I enjoy teaching so much. Like I, I have this kind of a, a partnership with this gym up here. It's called the women's place. Um, women's only gym. I love what they're doing there. The owner, Taylor Kolar, um, she is a big fan of kind of empowerment and strength for women. And they have, they run like a barbell, they run like kind of a new, it's called strong program. And basically it's just like, it's, it's barbell work and it's teaching a deadlift, teaching a back squat, teaching a bench press. And the amount of varied bodies and ages that are in this, dude, I mean, if it's not the, the say what you will about CrossFit, but the trickle down effect has led to so many different people, maybe not going to CrossFit gyms, but being like, yeah, I kind of want to pick up something kind of heavy, you know, like, yeah, what's that take? And so I've been able to very, very fortunate. I've been able to go over there a lot and talk about bracing, talk about hip hinging mm -hmm. and have members come over. And then some of the staff, you know, you know, I chat with them all the time on, you know, X, Y, and Z that I'm seeing and then patient interaction. I feel like that, that scratches the itch right now enough for me that just the communication with the strength coaches that I work with in town um, has been extremely fun to, to at least get that going. And then I used to think I wanted to kind of like really immerse myself and teach and, you know, maybe create something my own, but maybe teach for somebody else or, you know, something like that. And I'm not sure that's the case anymore. Kind of, again, you know, I think you and I joked about this on the last one. As soon as I graduated chiropractic school, you know, a few of my closest friends and oldest friends were like, yeah, but like, you know, what else, what, how long you, this is going to last, you know, what, what are you doing next? And, uh, I'm like, go to hell. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think if I, if I really focused on it and I was spending my time traveling, teaching and treating in the clinic and all that stuff, cause I, you know, I wouldn't want to give up any clinic hours just for teaching because I feel like that's where the, that's where iron sharpens iron. You know, like as soon as I hear somebody who's spouting off about how to do something and, and they, they don't, they don't put asses in the seats and they don't treat like, you know, it's pretty easy to kind of philosophize um, over, uh, over how to, how to make somebody better and, and what, what everybody's doing wrong and, why you could do it better but if you're not actually doing that like i have no respect no yeah. respect for you if you've been doing it for 30 years and then you want to go say that like yep okay that's fine but you know if you're a four-year doc and then you're out and you're like eh, i'm just gonna like tell people what to do by this course it's like <laughs> you don't know you don't know fucking anything i'm not i'm not speaking with anybody specifically of course but uh no never, never. uh well you know so if I went out teaching, I would probably retract, I'd have to retract some clinic hours to maintain all the other things I like to do in my life that make me, me and keep me happy and whole and sane. And I just, I just can't see myself doing that. Like, I honestly love this job too much. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's amazing. First of all, that you're in that, you know, position, but I just uh, finished up uh, the audible version of Gary Keller's The One Thing, which you know that it can seem a bit like salesy gary keller uh yeah. i remember i'm friends with our real estate agent works for keller williams and they had somebody quit from their real estate practice because they said they thought it was a cult because it's so you know defined with all these principles and i was like that's how you run a business is having these processes but it was just really funny we had a good laugh about it but he has a really good point in the book the one thing which i highly recommend to anybody it's a very easy listener read that he talks about finding mastery or chasing mastery in one realm allows you to do it easier in other realms. Tim Ferriss talks about this a lot, right? Like, so if you want to become a master at something, then you figure out the process, right? It's not like you have to spend, even though the 10,000 hour rule is a bunch of bullshit, you don't have to spend 10,000 hours on everything. It may be like, oh, I, I did this one thing. And now I know I can take all those principles over here. So you yeah. kind of said, yeah, you love teaching, you know, obviously you've got the clinic, you got, you know, your outdoor recreation stuff, hunting, like, what do you see your future looking like? Like you've a jack of all trades. Everybody's asking what's next. You, you know, we haven't really talked about some of the philanthropic stuff you want to get involved with, but like, what do you see yourself doing in 10 years? Do you think you're still in the clinic? Do you think you're, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I can't see myself 
smushing backs forever, but I can definitely, I hopefully, you know, in 10 years time, my money's working for me, passive income in the clinic, maybe a couple other clinics that we're talking about opening up smaller, smaller shops that we own the commercial real estate. That's kind of the plan. And then, you know, from there, you know, we'll see, I just hopefully doing a lot of the same stuff I'm doing now, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we'll see, we'll see what that looks like, but I've kind of created this life now where I'm not, I'm not looking. Oh, well in five years, I'm going to start enjoying myself. Like I I enjoy myself now. Like Mm -hmm. I could get hit by a bus. And I really do think that, you know, like something could happen and I could get really sick or, or, you know, all of a sudden a global pandemic shuts travel down and, you know, and I, I, so I try and enjoy, I try and enjoy now for now, but I think the biggest thing in the future is to just have my, probably have the passive income sources that I would, I would like um, generating income for me. So Mm -hmm. I can continue to kind of just treat at the same level I'm treating at provide more, um, I would love to be able to provide more pro bono work um, for people who need it, maybe can't afford it, um, and and maybe more training aspects and devote my time to. I really enjoy um, I really enjoy anything to do with junior junior sports that mm-hmm. might not have the funding or parents are already paying out the nose for X Y and Z, and I you know, getting somebody in there to be like, yeah, hey, this is, this is what we can do running TPI screens for, for free and then giving some pointers or whatever that looks like. Um, yeah. And then, and then anybody who needs it, especially some of those more, uh, you know, less fortunate groups, um, you know, in town here, like if anybody needs some help, I, I'm always willing to give it. Um, I think that's probably it, you know, just mm-hmm. doing the same stuff, but having my money work for me, hopefully own a house, hopefully a little bit of property, maybe some other stuff like that. But again, that's all like financial stuff. That's kind of Mm -hmm. setting myself up now for that stuff to work for me later. But I think I'm uh, anytime I hear like, Oh yeah, you know, in five years, I'm going to start, you know, going out a little bit more and enjoying life. It's like, man, you know, shit can change in a heartbeat. And I've seen that multiple times with people um, in my own personal experience as well. And the last thing I want to do, like, I, I really want to try and go to bed each day being like, being like, yeah, if I don't wake up, like I've had a pretty good go, you know? Well, and again, I hate to preach about Gary Keller, but he talks about like financing your lifestyle, right? Not work yeah. and then do something else. Like you should create unearned income, passive revenue streams to, if you want to do what you're doing, you don't have to do what you do to keep making money. So then you do have the freedom if you know, you want to go do something else or you break a leg or an arm mountain biking that it's not like, holy shit, what do I do now? But also that kind of brings it full circle, right? You're leading from the front that you're not this, like, I'm going to, you know, if you were just in the clinic, even if you're this awesome clinician spouting all this awesome knowledge and you're just like work, 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 save my money, not doing it, you know, whatever. And then you're telling people like, Hey, my goal is to get you back out and like, hit the trail this weekend or go back out hunting and you're not doing that stuff yourself. Like it's pretty hypocritical, right? Even if you're the best in the world. So I, I think everybody hits a happy medium on that. And obviously there's outliers, both directions there, but I think that's a good way to kind of tie this up in a bow is, you know, like our goal as clinicians is to help the patient achieve their goal. And we can't sit on the sidelines of life and be like doling out really what comes down to a lot of times life advice on how to do things. And we're just sitting here like trying to make money like that. Yeah. I think that's a, uh, I think that existed for a long time in our profession, right? Yeah. For sure. And we're definitely seeing like a, the currency of wealth changing, right? We're like, man, you need a lifestyle that you like, not one that you're waiting to live. But yeah. I, and you know, you guys are in Canada, so you're way more freaking laissez-faire than us U.S. We're all Gary V. Go, go, go! I gotta buy the Jets. So you know, yeah. Um, yeah. Any like last piece of advice or sage wisdom? What you got, man? Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think. I think that's kind of you. You kind of hit the nail on the head a little bit there. I think for for future grads coming out, I think less less worry about 
less worry about filling your schedule, more emphasis on becoming a member of your community and being happy with what you're doing will lead to faster success in the clinic. Um, it, you know, cause I know that's a big thing. You just spent 200 K on an education. You're, you know, coming out, you're like, holy shit, I got to make money. You've got these, if you're in the U S you've got these, you know, ridiculous student loan payments coming up. Um, X, you know, so on and so forth. Don't let that drive you to, you know, to sign some contract that you're going to be miserable treating, you know, a hundred patients a week for, for five grand a month. Like, I know you got to make money, but at the same time, invest in yourself a little bit and you won't, you know, finish three years of that contract and want to hang yourself. Go work for somebody like yourself. Who's going to push you to be better. Maybe you're going to make like, you, you know, less off the start, mm -hmm. but the, the room to grow is there and you'll just be a better clinician, a better person. And you won't kind of lose that time of, mm -hmm. You know, oh man, I wish those, you know, six or seven years after Cairo school, when, you know, are arguably some should be some of the better years of your life. You're still, you know, you're probably your mid twenties, late twenties, and you're have a lot of cool stuff ahead of you. Don't, don't get to 50 and be like, oh man, that sucked. Like, I, I wish I did all this stuff. Live, live the life you want to live. Don't worry about the finances. They'll kind of, they'll, they should play out in the wash. Don't be an idiot with your money. But, um, you know, enjoy, enjoy the experiences and, and the rest will follow because you'll just be a happier person. Like, you know, you can't be in a relationship with somebody if you're not happy yourself. I'd say the same thing is true for business, right? Unless you're just sitting behind a computer kind of analyzing data and you don't have any patient interaction. But when you have patient interaction, 30 clinical hours a week, 60 patients a week, whatever you're treating, you know, and you're not, and you're not happy and present with what you're doing and, and, and you yourself, it, 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 there's only a certain amount of time. I think you can make that happen unless you're a complete sociopath. So, um, I a hundred percent agree. Cause you give a lot of yourself away in patient interaction. So you got to be able to refill that tank, you know, doing huge, things man. mentality. But I think the point to drive home is great advice for students on what you just said, but also like general advice, like you can't, the plan doesn't work anymore to outwork your health and then think you can get it back. I think we're, right. we're wising up to that, that like, Oh, this idea, like retirement doesn't exist anymore. Your health should be priority. And then actually, if you prioritize that health, you're probably going to do things better over the longer term, right? The endurance of life is, uh, I guess, more robust instead of thinking like, oh, I'm going to bust my ass for 20 years, make a bunch of money, retire, then what are you going to do? That's yeah. why I kind of wanted to pose that question to you. You're like, hopefully the same stuff, right? Yeah. There's a lot that we could dive into on people that are like, dude, I wish I wasn't doing what I was doing today. I get that happens. But like, I think you hit a lot of stuff right there of like, be a happy person first or a fulfilled person, you yeah. know, prioritize what you got to be common sense. We won't use the word smart, but uh, yeah, ton of great stuff there, man. I think also too, like it's weird, right? Because if you're kind of living in this world of kind of your, I, I battle between the like, does this suck or does this, or do I just got to work a little harder for a little bit and it's going to get better. And I feel like maybe some of today's generation doesn't have enough of that grit to work yeah. through it. And I feel like kind of the boomer generation had way too much <laughs> yeah. it's a really good point deal with it you know yeah. like you know it's one of these things that there's probably some sort of happy medium you take from that and uh and i think if you can figure that out you know if it sucks for more than you know a few years that could probably sucks and you probably need to exit stage left you know but if it's like you know, if you just dig deep and kind of battle for a few months and then, you know, the lights on the other side, the other thing uh, you, you manifest that stuff yourself with, with processes in place, people around you. Like i I have friends that will be like, dude, that's a terrible uh, thing you're doing because it makes you miserable and you've been doing it for a year now. And I'm just like, 
yeah, you know, drinking apple cider vinegar in the morning is fucking useless. <laughs> you know, like whatever it might be, it could be small or it could be really major. You know, it could be a relationship. It could be work, it could be apple cider vinegar. Who knows? Man? Yeah. I got rid of that shit years ago. Um, years but, ago. but that's a, that is a great point to wrap this up because that gets back to what you said was kind of your superpower, right? That you create a plan for a patient. And if you can see where something's going, you can withstand the suck. But if you have a, if you can't create a plan or no plan ever exists, like you got to learn to pull the plug on whatever that is, job, health, activity, whatever. So that's a really good way to wrap that stuff up. Um, well, I appreciate being on here for the second time, man. And, uh, absolutely. I'll put out uh, as much or as little contact info as you want. I'll link to some of the other cool stuff you've done. I know. Do you have another documentary coming out soon? Yeah, yeah. The the, the trailer for it just came out yesterday. It's called The Wind and the Wolves. Um, it's uh, a story of my kind of a, a video after my first mule deer hunt. Um, that uh, that was a pretty cool time. A lot of weather elements, and I think they did a, an unbelievable job on on capturing the the challenge that it was. Um, uh, it comes out Feb 26, though. It's a full-length kind of document. I think it's just over 40 minutes long or something like that. Nice. So that'll be on Journal of Mountain Hunting and YouTube page and my podcast, Beyond the Kill. Uh, my segment's called Quick and Dirty with Wardo. Um, that's all on YouTube and, and iTunes as well. So I'm going to probably try and pull you onto that here in the not-so-distant future as well so we can kind of trade some services. I'll probably... I'll probably not fuck up the recording, but you know, that's okay. I'll just hang that over your head for a while. Hey, uh, novice uh, mindset right here. Even though I've been doing a podcast for like a decade, I still got to figure this <laughs> stuff out. So, um, <laughs> nice, man. Love to be on there at some point and uh, make sure it's just later in the evening so we can have some bourbon on that one. But uh, exactly right. Yeah, I really appreciate being on, man. I'll link out to all this stuff. Uh, if you guys have questions for Matt, you can always hit them up you know, whatever that is, uh, how to be as polite as you can be. He's coming out with a book, uh, self-published. So, uh, see you next time, Matt. Thanks, man. Thanks brother. Appreciate your time, man. Cheers.